I was a skinny little white girl from Harlem during the 60s. New York City felt like the center of the world, and I came at of age at the same time as psychedelic rock bands and the sexual revolution. My parents were filmmakers and spent most of their time on location or in the editing room. By age nine, I was riding the subway alone to school in Greenwich Village where anti-war protests were part of the curriculum. At 14, I was tripping on LSD. My grades were good, so my parents were not concerned. <laughs> By age 15, I was living in my own studio apartment. It sounds like a teenager's dream, but it was lonely. I ate dinner by myself at a teriyaki dive on Broadway. I would walk down 125th Street in a miniskirt at midnight. I moved through the city unnoticed by all those who are supposed to look after wild little girls like me. Luckily, I had ballet. It was my anchor. It provided routine, discipline, and was a place of peace within my chaotic childhood. My best friends were two sisters, Karis and Tammy. Karis was my age, a tall beauty with a cool intellect. We hitchhiked around Europe and Morocco together after high school. Tammy was the older one. She had the bone structure of a child and was adorable in every way. She ran off to Haight-Ashbury in 1969. It was December 1972. I just turned 18. The snow in New York had turned to slush. I'm going to San Francisco, I said to my parents. Why, asked dad. What about college, mother wanted to know. I want to study ballet full time before I'm too old. I was telling, not asking. I bought a one-way ticket to San Francisco, and with a suitcase in my hand, I was off on my next adventure. I fell in love with the Pacific light and the Victorian houses painted Easter egg colors. I was excited to move in with Tammy. There were hippies and musicians around, and everyone was cool, except the two guys covered in swastikas living across the fire escape. <laughs> I started training with the San Francisco Ballet and hitchhiked across Golden Gate Park each day carrying my dance shoes. When I wasn't dancing, Tammy and I were getting high and sleeping with whomever. <laughs> she hid it from me at first, but soon it was soon apparent that Tammy was addicted to heroin. Her friends were not flower children. They were drug dealers, pimps, and junkies. The more drugs I was around, the less I wanted to do them. So I took on the role of nursemaid. Ramey, can you help me get off drugs? Tammy asked as she nodded out. I love Tammy, and I wanted to help her kick. Then she could stop turning $10 tricks in Chinatown. I cooked meals, and we went to the beach, and we had a picnic in the park. But when she invariably got sick, there would be a needle and a bloody glass of water on the kitchen table in the morning. Two months later, Karis joined us, and the idea of cleaning up went out the window. They became committed sister junkies. To get money, they peddled their bodies, thieved a little, and sold balloons of heroin that had been cut with milk sugar. Tammy had been seeing, seeing Shannon. He just came out of mandatory treatment and talked about getting some land where girls could make crafts. When his younger brother Patrick was paroled from prison, he started dating Karis. Now they were a foursome, and things got out of hand. 
They must have been on speed because the four of them woke me up in the middle of the night yelling at each other. I had to get out of there, but where would I go? I certainly didn't want to run home with my tail between my legs. One day at ballet class, the pianist was playing a variation from Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty. I looked around and I saw all the young virgin, virginal girls practicing their pirouettes. I was only 18 but felt old and over the hill and sad, imagining these girls going home to a safe place. Tears blurred my vision and I couldn't spot myself in the mirror anymore. Soon after I dreamt that Patrick came to me with a silver platter of skulls and bones, offering me death. I woke up terrified, drenched in sweat. The image of Patrick followed me through the day. That evening, the brothers called. Everyone was in a bad mood, so the sisters let the phone ring. The guys kept calling until someone took the phone off the hook. Next, they were in the foyer ringing the doorbell. Kara stuffed a rag in the bell so we wouldn't hear it, and we all went to sleep. I awoke to Patrick jumping through my window and onto my bed shouting, time stops now, girls, you're dead. He opened the door to Shannon. They cut the phone line and herded us into one room. As they tied us up with electrical cord, Shannon said, don't you know what this is? Helter skelter, do you know what that means? We all knew what Charles Manson called his murder sprees. Kara start, started sobbing. We were all trussed together by our wrists, necks, and ankles, so if I moved my hands, I'd choke Karis. If Tammy tried to sit up, she choked me. I was petrified. The boys were hopped up and ranting, throwing accusations at Karis and Tammy left and right. You stole my guitar, Patrick spits. None of us played the guitar, so it made no sense. Then Shannon yells at Tammy, you gave me herpes. This went on for hours. Karis was begging for her life. After all those years riding the trains alone at night, I was practiced at talking my way out of dangerous situations. You don't have to do this, I said. We can help you with your commune. I can teach knitting and macrame. <laughs> Tammy said, Ramey isn't part of this, let her go. Patrick turned to me and snapped, that's what you get, Ramey, for hanging out with junky whores. The brothers started reminiscing about another girl they had killed. It hit me that I was about to die. I began loosening the cords, binding my wrists behind my back. Okay, girls, where's the dope, Patrick demanded. I thank God that the girls still had a stash in the apartment. The men shot themselves up, and while they were incapacitated, Tammy and I exchanged a look. We simultaneously jumped up, pulled off the cords, and screamed like banshees, making as much noise as humanly possible as we ran towards the door. They were on our heels trying to stop our escape. One of the brothers was struggling with carrots. The other grabbed Tammy and smashed her in the face, cracking her cheekbone and breaking all the vessels in her right eye. We ran to the neighbor, Dick Fugget, the poor guy across the hall who we used to mock for his unfortunate name. I was banging the glass door so hard I thought it would break. Shannon was pulling Karis back by the hair. Tammy was screaming, they're murdering my sister. Dick opened the door and we managed to slip inside and slam it on Shannon. Patrick was already bolting down the stairs. Don't listen to them, they're on drugs, Shannon yelled through the door. Somebody called the police, but we decided not to reveal the brother's identity, scared we would always be looking over our shoulder. The three of us <clears throat> left San Francisco that day. 
leaving everything behind. We hitchhiked to Santa Cruz with just the clothes on our back. The sisters had an aunt living there and she put us on a plane back to New York. I needed to talk about what happened to process it. Karis iced me out. She was on to the next thing, which was cleaning up and going to medical school. <laughs> I wa uh, Tammy was never able to kick and stayed on methadone for life. I walked around in a state of numbness. Eventually, my wounds healed enough so I could make a life for myself. Years later, I built a career in the film industry, but when my first child was born, I peered into his dark, gray, fathomless eyes, and I knew I would quit my job as a producer. I wanted to be nearby when my children were small, to keep them safe. I was lucky to raise a son and a daughter. I created a strong mothering bond with them, and in that way, I found the childhood I had lost.